When I say there are certain things you're waiting to do with a spouse, or meaning you're waiting for a spouse to bring up before you make them a priority is personal healing and growth. What do you think exactly you will be gaining by getting married? This is a great exercise. What's up, fam? This is JJ. We got another mini man so coming your way. This one's actually a part two of last week. So if you did not listen, you might want to hit pause, go back. We're talking about preparing versus being obsessed with your spouse and what happens without even thinking about it when we're, quote, obsessed with our spouse versus what we, what we would love to be happening, which is preparing for a spouse. And there's a huge difference between those two realities and how we move forward and in our life. Um, so that being said, I'm going to go ahead and pause. Housekeeping items, three new things, okay? Number one, did you like the artwork? Did you like it? Wasn't that amazing? So we joined a new network. If you guys did not hear on Wednesday, we're super excited about it. That Sounds Fun Network headed up with Annie Downs and her amazing team based in Nashville. Yeehaw. We love them. We can't wait. We're super, super excited. We got some new things coming your guys' way in 2024 and could not be more excited about it. Number two, we got conference. If you're a guy, I think we just filled out the Mog House. We might be starting up the second Mog House by now. Hit me up on Instagram at JJ Tomlin or on Facebook. I'd love to get you guys plugged in. We're getting close to that time. Okay, we're getting close to that time. My only question is about conference. I would just ask why. Like, I get it. I've been asked to go to conference conference after conference after conference in my life, I always look for a good reason why or why not. Uh, a lot of times, if I'm being honest, I was just being lazy. Like around New Year's, I love to just sit, chill, watch football. But sometimes that's like the gym for me. I love to relax. I love to chill out, but I maybe love it a little too much. And some of those conferences, like me investing in myself, putting myself out there, getting to know people, that actually would have been the best thing for me. And yet I just chose to stay at home. So I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that was me in the past. There's definitely a lot of conferences that I shouldn't have been at. They were not great for me to be at. Uh, I knew exactly that when I was asked. And then there was a couple conferences, if I'm being honest, where it would have been really good. It would have been really, really good for me to get in community, to find people, meet people, be encouraged, and be challenged, like to level up and where I was in life. I think that for me and fellow men is always the biggest call in our life is how can I put myself in a situation or environment where I am challenged to level up? And then lastly, what I'm loving in life, what I'm enjoying in life, I'm going to make this one a little bit more practical. If you follow some of the entrepreneurs on Twitter who love to just try all these new growth hacks and tricks and cold plunges of life, um, my latest one is if I don't make it to the gym, which I really need to make it to the gym in the morning, it is like my day with gym time in the morning, that hour, hour or two in the morning versus not, I just feel, I actually feel so lethargic. I feel so foggy brained. If I don't get up and move and really challenge my body physically, then mentally, 
I am just like an alien that day. I don't know what it is. Maybe someone who is listening who is smarter than me can help me out there. But I just, I have found that my days with working out versus not are so different. Now, that being said, I can't work out every day. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. What I do compromise on, I'm just, I, I'm a morning person sometimes, but I can be pretty lethargic. My little tip for you guys is if you don't make it to the gym, 20 minutes in the sunlight, drink 20 ounces of water and just walk. I don't know if it's the vitamin D and the sunshine. I don't know if it's just the routine of it. But if I don't get to work out in the morning, that is my fail-safe way to just kind of wake up before I attack anything that's work. I do that. It's been really great. <laughs> it's been really awesome. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and jump into the episode today. Now, I just want to go ahead and pause and say thank you guys so much for the feedback last week. I actually had multiple people reach out to me and say that they really, really enjoyed it. I'm not sure if that's just because we uh, we use God's word a lot more. I try not to make this a sermon. I try to make it a little bit more thought-provoking, challenging, and anecdotal than working through God's word line by line. That being said, I don't think you can ever go wrong going to God's word and going line by line. It's just sometimes there's different venues and places to hear those messages. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I think that might be a rubric or a guide that we use much more moving forward. Uh, but that being said, I think anytime we can use scripture, we can ask ourselves, okay, I know the scripture was not written to me. It was not written to a 27, 28-year-old man living in the United States of America in the year of 2023, okay? Shouldn't it be 2024? That's not who the scripture was written to. Is it written for us? Is it written for believers here in the United States, completely different culture 2000 years later? In a way, yes. But for us to get the most meaning out of scripture, we have to ask and stick to who was this written to? Why was it written to them? And what was the cultural environment and context of that day? That is the best way we're going to ever extrapolate a lesson in teaching and guidance for our life today. So that being said, when it comes to dating, anytime we can find a love story, the idea of a search, a choice, a semblance of courtship or dating, and then engagement and marriage, I think it's really, really wonderful just because of the idea of dating is relatively new. The idea that you have the free will to go out, choose, get to know romantically over a series of dates is a new phenomena of the past hundred years. It is typically found in Western cultures. And uh, what I mean by that is North American and European cultures. Um, it has expanded to other cultures throughout the world, but very much so is not the norm for all countries and places today. Uh, and definitely not 2000 years ago, or even when Genesis was written, depending on your view, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So that being said, the fact that we have some love stories written in scripture, specifically for shout out all my younger siblings out there, a example of what not to do. And what I mean by that as a younger sibling, I very much got to watch my older siblings commit pretty dumb mistakes. And I got to ask myself, uh, do I want to repeat the same mistake now that I know how it goes? Or do I want to do something new? And obviously my decision most of the time was do something new. And Jacob, as he decided to become infatuated with Rachel, pursue her, pursue her, 
totally ignore all the warning signs and character and things before him, chose and was infatuated with Rachel. There was a great quote as I was listening to a sermon to prepare for this message was, you know, the idea of Rachel and really one takeaway, especially as you become married and you become infatuated and you set the object on your heart as your spouse, they become your person, your God. Genesis 29 is when you go to bed with Rachel, you will always wake up with Leah. Meaning when Jacob went went to bed that night thinking he was going to bed with Rachel, thinking there was going to be the best night of his life, thinking that finally he would be completed, finally be happy. He's waited all these years in a single season to find that one. You will always wake up with Leah, meaning you will always be disappointed. You will always ask yourself, is that it? Personally, to just confide with you guys, when it came to my sex life, I was a virgin. And it's been wonderful and it's been the most amazing gift. But there's definitely times in my life in the first year of marriage where that sneaking thought and suspicion came up and haunted me where it was just, is that it? Is that it? And it's a great question to ask because that for me revealed a placement and a value and a God-sized expectation of fulfillment and intimacy that came with sex that really is reserved with my relationship with God. Like not even the sexual experience between man and wife within covenantal union could eclipse the intimacy and the fellowship that I derive from a morning, an evening, a day, a sacred moment with God, my creator. And that for me just absolutely blew my mind. It gave new meaning for me within sex and marriage. And it also gave new meaning for me and my relationship, specifically the the fellowship, the richness of fellowship with God, my creator. Which brings me into my first point uh, that we talked about briefly last week. You know, one of the hallmark signs that you are obsessed with your future spouse versus preparing for them, it's something that's on the table, but it's not the God of your life, is this. There are certain things that you are waiting to do with a spouse. So the obvious exception here is sex. You should be waiting for sex with your spouse. Biblically, and the covenant of marriage and what we are given as guidance and commandments is to withdraw and abstain from sexual relations with anybody until we have the covenant of marriage to partake in that sexual experience with. Anything outside of that is pretty clear, off limits, no go. So that being said, what are the things in your life that you are probably waiting to do because you just want to experience them with a spouse? That could be, you know, Practically, it could be something like career, like launching your own startup, launching your own business, going into maybe your own venture. Uh, you want the security of a, another spouse's income. I totally get it. Maybe it's a little bit more spiritual and emotional and uh, you know what I would say calling. Maybe it's missional, like you really feel like you want to, with your spouse, serve at your church in a selective way. There are certain mission organizations, there are certain orphanages that you really want to partake in with your spouse. Uh, the biggest one I see by far and away from the couples that we work with uh, and the singles that we work with is this. When I say there are certain things you're waiting to do with a spouse or meaning you're waiting for a spouse to bring up before you make them a priority is personal healing and growth. I think all the things are listed. I can see valid reasons why 
But when you're obsessed with a future spouse, you're also obsessed with what they're going to do for you. And one of the big things that they do for you is they become one of the force functions that highlights and red flags issues in your life that you have the total ability and capability to undertake and attack when you're single. If I stopped right now and I asked you to be totally honest, what what is that one, two, three things in your life underneath the hood, right? When I talk about the engine of your soul underneath the hood, what is that one thing, that two or three things that you know when it comes to marriage, it will surface? that you know that you can hide it. You don't have to be transparent about it. You might be in community group. You might be in fellowship. You might have a small group. You might have a counselor. But this is the one thing that's kind of pervaded underneath the surface this whole time. And there's never really been a reason to bring it up. There's never really been a conflict about it. Or there's never really been a challenge from a deep friendship that really highlights it. There are certain things you are waiting to do with a spouse, meaning you know they're going to become challenges and issues. What Maybe it's something as practical and like as financial debt uh, you're waiting for someone. I'm talking strictly though about your emotional health, your mental health, your spiritual health and growth. I've seen way too many people put this as a back burner because they're more concerned with finding a spouse instead of becoming the one that they are looking for is looking for and taking that totally seriously. And I see this riddled in my life. Yes, I went to therapy. Yes, I challenged myself. I I did do some of these things, uh, especially as it became a conflict with someone else. When I say a force function, this is a really important word I use within my life on a weekly basis, spiritually, emotionally, professionally. A force function in your life is something that it is uh, a system within your life that does not allow you to fail. Meaning, uh, every week, I have a weekly report with one of my clients. Uh, it's Tuesday at 11 a.m. I'm presenting a report on the what I did last week, uh, a report of where we are and a report of where we're going. That is a force function to get my work done. It's a force function for me to have to report. Like Because that meeting is on my calendar, I don't have a choice but to create that reporting, go through the performance last week, tell them what I'm doing. It is a force function in my life. Force functions are just things that force you to do something that otherwise might be up in the air, okay? Marriage is the most wonderful force function you will ever find. A lot of people talk about it's the iron versus iron. It's the mirror that reflects everywhere that you have failed or don't have dominion and self-control in your life. And that's totally true. My only question I would have wished I would ask myself is, hey, what is what are those things that you know that you can get a head start on? What are those things that you know you're postponing until marriage to really take seriously? And if you're preparing for a spouse, you really want to say something like this. Because I want to be a wonderful spouse, I want to be a wonderful parent, I want to have a wonderful marriage, I'm going to go ahead and get a head start on those. I want to be excellent. I want to steward this opportunity and calling well, so I'm going to get excited to get in there and prepare and do everything I need to to prepare 
to prepare myself for being a wonderful husband or wife. Now, the inverse of that and obsessing with them, I think is placing a value and what I would say is you make them become the force function for you. Meaning I put all the pressure on the world. I defer all this opportunity. I'm gonna make them speak about it out loud. I'm gonna make it become a problem between me and my spouse that they complain about it so much, they highlight it so much. It's so challenging for us as a couple that I have no choice but to tackle it on my own. Number two, we're gonna move a little bit faster here. I would say this, we highlighted it last week, but when you're obsessed with the spouse and what we see as one of the major issues between choosing a spouse, you guys might have seen this in secular culture. It might sound something like this. Uh, it's, well, they have daddy issues, so of course they compromised and chose that person. Well, they have mommy issues, so of course you saw them put on the horse blinders, choose someone who was awful for them because they were looking to fulfill a need that was dictated out of wounding. I would say we see this all the time, Christians and non-Christians, obviously in non-Christian stuff like, you know, uh, Love is Blind or The Bachelor, you hear them talk a lot about, about a, a gap or past hurt or trauma or wounding, and then that will drive their obsession for finding a spouse like nothing else because they genuinely feel like they need that. Hey, I've been in these situations. I've been down that road. It hurt me so much. Never again will I ever put myself in a position where I'm the one in sole control. I'm the one who's fully in charge out of a wounding of, I don't want to be alone out of a wounding of, I saw a one, one spouse, uh, take over the marriage and control everything, they are driven out of, I have to find someone who compliments me. I have to have someone who has self-worth. I have to have someone who's independent. The second point I would say is, and as we see this all the time, we see it particularly in secular media. You see it in rom-coms. You see it in Love is Blind. Uh, you see an obsession with a spouse, specifically about who they are, what they do, uh, the character dictated out of a wounding, right? It's dictated out of a past trauma, a past hurt, a past wounding that they are obsessed that they have to they have to find someone who perfectly fits that mold because they genuinely feel like they need it. I think of a great example from Love is Blind. There was an entrepreneur girl. Uh, she was so obsessed with career and entrepreneurship because that was the God of her life. She dated a guy who quote, you know, in her words, was a loser who had no life, who who worked a minimum wage job, and she couldn't stand it. She hated it. She resented it. So out of that trauma, out of that desire of wanting to see something completely opposite, she was obsessed with finding a spouse who was just as productive as her, who was just as entrepreneurial, who had just as much money as her. And I would say for me, that is a major red flag. You see, I totally understand coming out of the hurt and the trauma and wanting to find someone who is not that. However, when you feel like you need it, you feel like you'll do anything to compromise to have it because you really want it. It's the object of your heart and you'll do anything to secure it. And the issue with that is what happens when you find that particular thing that you want, desire, and love, but they don't have the things that that matter, that wisdom has taught you. They don't have the character. They don't have the godly relationship. They don't have the grace, but they do have that really shiny, amazing thing that you've been thirsting for, that you were dying for. Do you see the, the conflict there? Do you see the tension there? 
you really want something and when you want it that badly, what will you do? You will compromise to have it. You really want to have a beautiful wife. You really want her to have an amazing body. You really want to have an amazing sex life. You've you've withheld, you've been a virgin. Like I maybe she spiritually is not exactly where I wanted her. Uh, what I really desired, what wisdom has taught me time and time again and story after story. But man, she, like Rachel, she just captivated me. You just don't understand. And I, I really feel like everything has pointed to her my whole entire life. Do you, do you see the horse blinders that pop up to wise evaluation, right? The opposite of that is called preparing for a spouse, which is dictated out of what? Contentment. Meaning, guess what? I know what I want. I know what I desire. And guess what? There's no timeline. There is no rush. There's no compromise needed because there's no need for me to bend. I have all the time in the world in so many ways that I don't have to compromise for the man or the woman I am looking for. I'm Gucci because guess what? I know in the grand scheme of things that this marriage thing, it's a temporary partnership on earth. And it's not going to kill me if I get 45 years of it instead of 48 years. You know, one thing I say all the time is this. Would you rather date for three years and have 47 years of a wonderful marriage? Or would you rather date for one year and have 49 years of a miserable marriage? Or the way we go today, three years of a miserable marriage before you call it quits and then you try again and then you have those lessons behind you, right? That's how I think about it. it this marriage thing, and we've gotten a lot of flack on our Instagram lately for it, is you know, it is a temporary partnership. It, it, you're earthmates. There's no such thing as soulmates. And so when the obsession is, is born out of that completion lack of coupled with I only got one shot at this, I only get 40, 50 years to find that person to have that marriage, then you will do whatever it takes to have it, meaning you will compromise and bend when you shouldn't compromise and bend. And I hate to should or should not you, but that's just the reality of it. And lastly, one of the hallmark signs that you might be obsessed about your future spouse rather than thinking about them, preparing for them is this. If I told you that you were not going to get it, you would be destroyed. Now, I know that is a dramatic word to use. Uh, you can substitute whatever you want. Uh, what I'm trying to convey is that it would be extremely difficult and really hard to maybe cope with the disappointment and the truth that if I told you that and it was true, you're not going to be married, it would be hard. Now, I think there's a fine line though between going through that experience and dealing with the hardness and the truth of that, and being destroyed. So I use that word on purpose. And so I use destroyed because I do think there is a subset of the Christian population, and this message is for Christian and Christian men and Christian women, specifically men, because this is a, a mini man The hope of your life, one of the main priorities and goals and, and life priorities is getting married. So the second that I tell you that it's off the table, it would destroy you, meaning a huge part of your life, a huge vision calling plan of your life was to be married. In fact, it is one of the sole things that you live for and desire. It's one of the greatest hopes 
that you have. Now, having hope, finding pleasure and having desires like we've talked about so many times is okay, right? It's just whenever these hopes, pleasures, desires grow into such a place of importance in our life that the second they are taken away, we'd be destroyed. If anything holds that weight in our life other than Christ Jesus, it has officially become what? Yes, an idol. That is exactly what an idol is. It's anything we devote our heart, our soul, our mind, our affection, our our life towards. And if it's ripped away, then yes, we would be destroyed. Now, this is a very black and white, very, very big argument that you could extend to a lot of areas of our life. Children, families, spouses, like these are all very important, the most significant and important relationships of our life that, yes, get elevated to the place of idolship. They become idols. No matter the intent, no matter the heart, no matter the love behind them, yes, anything that takes the place of God within our life on the throne of our hearts, the object of our eyes, has become an idol. And I think that the Bible is not, you know, it's funny because uh, we were talking with a friend the other day, and when the Bible has conflicting scriptures uh, and priorities, meaning when we talk about something like, I read the passage of 1 Corinthians 7, which is Paul's most clear teaching on marriage. It's extremely black and white. And he basically is just like, I mean, he really is. If you read the Bible sometimes at face value and seeing how blunt they are, what the way he talks about marriage is like, hey, if you're horny and you cannot contain yourself, just get married. And if I only read scripture and I've only read about marriage from the lens of 1 Corinthians 7, then it's really like not this glorified, romantic, beautiful thing uh, that I should really be looking forward to. Now, when I read Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, what a lot of people don't realize when we talk about Ephesians 5 and the weight and significance that carries us all throughout the first four chapters of Ephesians Paul is talking about the idea of marriage, the union, the covenant between Christ and his church, and the marriage between that. And that is the most beautiful picture that gives the weight, the eternal weight of what marriage and covenant means. And then we get a reflection and snapshot of it in Ephesians 5 between humans. And it holds that much weight. It holds that much significance because it's a reflection of the divine covenant and marriage between Christ and his church, not because it's two humans joining together as one. Do you see what I mean? It's not the primary source and cause of the significance. It's a reflection of the primary. And so when I talk about this and you know, it being elevated as the primary source, as the primary glory of our life, that's exactly when I feel like it becomes uh, idol within our heart. And if I told you that you were not going to get it, you would be destroyed because it is the God of your life. And your life is also predicated only around the 30, 40, 50 years that you have on earth. Now, this is really where I, I feel like the Bible is not the most clear on the ideas of called to marriage, right? Is it a call? Is it a choice? Are you temporarily called to celibacy and singleness and then you're called to marriage when someone who presents themselves as a great spouse is there? I go back and forth. This is 
getting pretty close to the idea of free will versus predestined and the one and is it a choice is it predestined by god is there the one i personally think that uh god uses every single choice just like we read in genesis 29 that god uses our choices to advance his will in a sovereign way regardless i do think that we are temporarily called to celibacy and singleness uh, always, I think that is one of the most foundational seasons for a Christian, uh, regardless of the call, the direction, the mission, the purpose of their life. I think if Jesus demonstrated that singleness and walking in the wilderness in an anonymous season where there is nothing but a priority of knowing and being with God, I think if that's the blueprint he's given us as Christians, that is the one of the more ideal blueprints we can follow as Christians from our teenage years. And obviously, if you become a Christian later in life, that, that changes. So, But I would ask someone who feels like they might be obsessed with marriage or they have significant weight on it, let me ask you this question. What do you think exactly you will be gaining by getting married? This is a great exercise. What is it besides your tax bracket status, your zip code, uh, and sex, those things removed, what are you going to get in marriage? What do you hope to get in marriage? And now ask yourself this. If marriage is off the table, are those things completely off the table as a single? Meaning, if I told you, you had a dream from God, you're celibate for life, those things that you romanticized, dreamed of, really desired, that you thought you'd be getting in marriage, uh, would you not be able to get them at all as a single? And what I mean by that is, here's a great example. Some people really crave and desire the deep companionship that they will get in marriage that is not on the table as a single. I would actually say, and we got into a, a awesome debate with a pastoral friend over this, because he was asking us about marriage and we said, you know, we love it. Obviously it's iron sharpens iron. It's very difficult and hard. He said, I honestly don't agree with the iron sharpening iron analogy for marriage. I think that is totally blown out of proportion. And, um, you know, it, it shouldn't always be iron sharpening iron. And I was really struck by that. And as I thought about it, I, I really started to see his point in the sense of the ironing, sharpening iron, the deep fellowship and companionship as a single, that is that is completely available and capable to find in singleness. We see this actually demonstrated by multiple disciples and apostles, those who did not marry. Jesus himself, we see these and my, uh, our gay, celibate, single Christian companions, people who know that sexual intimacy and relational intimacy within the covenant of marriage is never on the table, but still find a way to find deep fellowship and richness and friendship within community of those around them. And I would say there's totally things that are on the, if, if children and that motherly call is truly on your life, and mother nature is ticking and marriage seems to be or not on the table anytime soon. Well, if that's truly a motherly call within your life, then there are avenues and opportunities to explore what stewarding that looks like in a variety of different ways. Maybe it's a temporary fostering. Maybe it's a lifetime adoption. Maybe it's a taking in of a teenager. Maybe it's just a weekend commitment. 
But if that's truly a passion and gift that you have on your life that has not come to fruition and fulfillment via marriage and having your own children, I obviously understand there's disappointment in that. But if we're talking about eternal landscape here, eternal giftings and your calling and stewardship and plan and mission that might be given to you by God might come up and surface in the way of adoption or fostering or serving in a motherly role within your church or local families around you. And I would just say, you know, if there's anything in marriage that you are hoping to get, run the test of, hey, if I was not to get married, is there anything here that I could actually start setting on, embarking upon, achieving, receiving in my single season because there's no guarantee of when I'm not going to be single, right? There's no guarantee of when a man or a woman might come. And I would just say, if you take that model, especially as it comes to mission and companionship and fellowship and discipleship, I honestly think that's what the greatest apostles, disciples, and leaders, and and obviously Jesus himself asked, hey, if marriage is not on the table, what is on the table for me in the rest of my life? And if that is kingdom-oriented, advancing God's great commission, run, 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 my brothers, run, my sisters, run towards that, 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 that mission and execution. And to close out today's episode, you know, Deb Falada, I, I love her. God bless her soul. She is so wonderful. She had a great blog post. She has a wonderful book, and uh, it's called True Love Dates. And she talks about marriage obsession. So obviously, she's not the only one who talks about marriage obsession in, in today's world. But I just think that she did such a, a wonderful job kind of highlighting and summarizing what took me 30 minutes to say. She said it in, you know, just a couple hundred characters. But she talks about this idea. And I, I think that we should always lead or wrap up on this notion of a desire for marriage and making sure that, you know, as a single, no one's shame for having that desire. But I, I think one thing that really comes up within me is I do feel a passion and desire to see singles reevaluate their desire for marriage and really gauge it, really kind of the word that comes to mind is like a, a cheese grater almost, like you, you're just grinding it up, the cheese grater of eternity. You take anything that is really, really important in your life and you just take it and you mesh it, you grind it against an eternal perspective and see how it holds or changes within that perspective. And she specifically talks about this idea that marriage is a reflection of our desire for love. We're obsessed about marriage because we're obsessed with love, because we were created for companionship, belonging, and deep love. Like at our core, we want to be noticed. We want to be counted worthy. We want to be deemed valuable. So as we look around for the idea of that unconditional love and validation, well, <laughs> marriage. Marriage is like the perfect solution. It is the hope of that unconditional love that I crave and desire that I've been built for, right? You've been built for it. What she really harps on and centers on is the most nourished and life-giving marriages are made up of two people who love to love more than they love just to be loved. It's two people who love to love more than they just love to be loved. Meaning they they want that same connection. They want that same validation. Tim Keller talks about this idea of love economics. They are sourced and fulfilled and validated from a greater love than any human could provide. 
And then they are able to turn that and transform that into a love that they love to give. And we talk about marriage. We're obsessed with marriage because we were made to talk about it. It was it, she really drills this home, uh, in the sense you know she talks about we were made in the image of God who designed us to love and be loved, and because of a, a, a far deeper need created in us, it's an unquenchable desire for God. You know you can talk about this idea that God created within you a God-sized thirst for a God-sized love. Whether you're aware of it or not, right, we're all kind of engaging in that divine relational need in some way or another. And so she says, and what I'll close on is, you know, if our obsession with marriage could, instead of reminding us that we're single, instead of reminding us of what we cannot get, instead of reminding us of what a hopeless romantic and what a sad life of rejection and patience and, you know, it just hasn't happened for me yet. If I could be reminded to stop of the truth that St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If your desire for marriage could ever be this, a reminder for your desperate need for the lover of your soul, then marriage and that deep desire, that obsession with it, might be the most amazing trigger for you to stop and pause and reflect and think about the fulfillment and love that we gain and can find that changes, opens, transforms, and fills us with a deep and ferocious love from God to God that transcends into a love for others and that completely nourishes us to a point where, yes, hey, if marriage is not on the table for me in the next year, the next 10 years, the next this life, I'm okay. And if in eternity, I look back and I can say, hey, because I didn't get married and that was the cost of me knowing God, finding him, trusting in him, living a life for him, and the, the cost was me not finding a spouse, then what a wonderful cost that I would make a million times over, over and over to be closer to God. If that was the cost for me to be closer to God in the grand scheme of eternity and be here in heaven, then I would happily make that decision over and over and over again. So I know that's hard hitting. I know that's challenging. I love you guys. I'm with you. I hope you guys are challenged, encouraged, and blessed by these episodes. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.